Hello everyone, welcome to Risk Roundup. Although energy is the most basic resource necessity across any nation, the turbulent global consumer demand, falling oil prices, disruptive innovations, and rapidly changing energy technologies and processes in cyberspace, geospace, and space brings this industry great challenges and complexities. Across nations, the global energy infrastructure security seems to be visibly threatened by not only insurgencies in many nations, but also due to the rapidly changing global fundamentals brought on by the cyberspace. There are widespread fears that world reserve of oil will be unable to meet the global energy demand in the coming decades. And some industry analysts are claiming that there are very few viable alternatives to oil at this moment. Amidst that, Many oil producing countries seems to have fallen in visible turmoil and they are rapidly getting engulfed in social chaos. The competition for oil reserves is escalating and constraints to domestic oil extractions are being removed to maximize production across many oil producing nations, triggering complex challenges from price war to supply war. These intriguing parallels between the coal panics of the late 19th century and the oil panic that gripped the world today are eerily similar. If stability, security, and sustainability are to be achieved, the global energy system needs to undergo fundamental security transformation. To discuss the security challenges and the changing nature of security in cyberspace, geospace, and space, I'm delighted to welcome Trond Ellefson from Statoil. Trond is Special Executive Advisor on Strategy, Processes and Change to Statoil. In addition, Trond is also an SPE. Great, thank you, Trond. So, Trond, energy industry seems in visible turmoil. Where do you think the industry go from here? Well, I think we have been in a transformation for some time, but the, the change related to security, I think, has become much more present in people's mind when uh, services have been outsourced, when you are removing competency uh, from far away from where we were just 10 years ago. 10 years ago, you had control on the inside and you could put a barrier around your, your, uh, your business. Uh, now it's becoming very, very much more fragmented. The whole business and the way that you operate and the information that you put out there. So you need to be very concerned about your architecture. So I think that uh, there are some fundamental changes. And I think also the way that we operate our business will change uh, in the coming three to five years with, uh, of course, the things that are being evangelized by Gartner Group, by McKinsey, by Accenture, and everyone that is like talking the big words now about the digitization of the of the industry will also have aspects related to security that is not yet being resolved and we do not have a good path going forward for ensuring that we are uh, being utilizing technology in a safe way for the industry so you're, you're raising some very very important questions uh, on how do we go forward on Yes, I, I hear you, Tron. I mean, because see, uh, the world is digitalizing as well as globalizing. So these are two important, you know, uh, uh, trends that we are seeing. And in, in spite of the digitalization and globalization that's going on, most of the enterprises, they're not ready, irrespective of the industry. They are either not sure whether they want to digitalize and globalize or they are not sure how to do that. So you are right, I mean, the security challenges are so complex right now, especially those were the years where, you know, any business within any uh, industry used to have only a local presence. So security architecture and uh, maintaining security was very easy. Now they are spread all across nations and uh, they are connected to different suppliers, they are connected to different uh, uh, governments are connected to different industries, different you know businesses across you know nations which have very different level of maturity, very different level of uh, uh, capability and processes. So it is very very complex. I mean, in spite of the internal resources within Statoil, within or within any entity within any organization, even though they may be very capable and they may have 
they may be doing everything they need to do to attain the security it is still not within their power or control to achieve the security that they need to have at this point so it is a very complex time and uh, it is good that uh, i'm glad that you know you are here to discuss those challenges with us uh, now before we go further on the security challenges there is another important uh, point that i would like to discuss is that some say that the biggest change in energy over the last decade was about how and where hydrocarbons were removed from the earth it seems that a very different kind of energy revolution is taking place in like a how the energy already removed from the earth is moved across it there are many who say that an energy transit revolution has already begun what will be the impact and consequences of this next energy revolution and do you agree that this is going to be like a revolution you know how to transport energy from point a to point b and that's where the whole focus is going to be as far as the industry is concerned uh i i think for for the last for the last 50 years and, and even before that the, the way energy were were used by nations is has been like it, it is power if you have the energy you have the power I think now with the push that we have for green energy, the mix of this will change and, and the political landscape will probably also shift as a consequence of all of a sudden you have different kind of energy mixes coming, coming in. And it's not like uh, if you think about what the, uh, the uh, I think it was the, the energy minister from Saudi Arabia said, like the Stone Age didn't end because they ran out of stone. They ended because it was something new that came around that was easier to do. And I think especially when it comes to energy, uh, we will see that these new ways, cold fusion or other ways of producing energy, will be more important in the years to come. And oil will be in the unforeseeable future in the, the, in the majority of the energy mix. But it will have different flavors and it will not be as impactful as before, as time goes by. So if you think like far, far ahead now and over the next 10 to 15 years because of the environmental aspects of this, I think that the green energy will play a much larger ro or, uh, role. It is not going to replace anything yet, but it will have a larger role in any oil companies, uh, picture of what they provide and they need to have an active standing in that and also maybe invest in that area. Yes, I hear you on that. I, I think you uh, are, you know, making a very important point that, that it's not like that energy, green energy is going to replace oil. It is, green energy is going to make its own place, but oil will not be replaced for a very, very long time. Uh, and there are many, I mean, oil has gone through many crises. I mean, even before 100 years, oil industry, petroleum industry has gone through a very significant crisis, but there has always been significant uses of oil that have always, you know, come forward. So oil is here to stay, but green energy is going to, you know, make, find its place and uh, is going to find its home and, you know, people will be using it across nations in many different forms. So. Coming to another point, you know, that is based on the energy mix is that the global energy companies produce oil, natural gas, coal, nuclear power, re renewable energy and fuels, as well as electricity. Now, amidst the diversity in energy sources, approach and supply, how do we achieve stability, safety, security and sustainability in the global energy markets? Because it's very complex, so many different sources. I, I, I think from a from a company uh, like if I talk in general, like from a company perspective, you have different uh, challenges in different regions that you are in, and it's not one silver bullet to to solve this. I think all the companies need to find their way into the future. It's not about like um, uh, if you talk about supply uh, security, it's a completely different topic than how you're going to. Uh, build resilient infrastructure to prevent uh, the flow of energy through your system because if you are being affected by, by someone hacking your, your infrastructure and they are able to stop your, 
and then make a position from that. Of course, that is a completely different topic than when you look at it at the higher national level. So I think if, if we if we go back and focus on, on from an IT perspective or from a technology perspective, I think one of the key topics going forward will be our ability to connect the dots over the value chain. You cannot look at upstream as one part, midstream as one part, and downstream as one part. The ability to succeed is your ability to actually leverage the, the, the factors that is within and across all these functional, uh, functional silos. Because over time, we, in the oil companies, uh, one thing that has been a strength up till now has been your ability to dig deep. Like dig deep in the functional silos, so people you know, working with, geo, uh, with geology, they are working with geology. People working with petrophysicists, they work with, with that area of, of competency. But going forward, the ability to connect the dots between the functional silo will become uh, maybe the differentiating factor for an oil company that is going to be more successful than another. And of course, by connecting those silos, you will also have security challenges because more data will be available. And uh, of course, companies need to be very clear about how they want to open up their data for interpretation and being used across different silos within the company and also towards uh, the outside. Because there's also, you are buying services from the cloud, you are buying services more, and there's more a open service model. So how are you going as an oil company to determine the risk related to giving them access to enough information so that they can look for what they don't know? Because that is where the value is going forward. It is everything that we don't know that lays within the darkness of the mountains of data that we have, that we haven't opened up for interpretation. And I don't mean normal interpretation like you do in geology or, or what the geophysicists do. It is more the interpretation from other functional areas that we haven't done before. So how can you open up, keep your integrity, the, the integrity of the data, keep the security of the data and the availability of the data, and at the same time being able to feel that you are you are being safe, but you are still opening up. So these are paradoxes and dilemmas that are very, very complex, and they will be, they will be, uh, I will say, energizing discussions going forward on these topics. How can you utilize the cloud? How can you do interpretation using the big data centers around the globe? How can you run your interpretation on 10,000 servers on, on Amazon? and still not expose your intellectual property or give away secrets. So, so these are maybe the most, the, the most important. It's not only about protecting your company from, from being resilient against attack. It is also intellectual property. It is how do you protect your, your, the stability of your processes. And there's, a, there's so much interesting topics now when you say the word security that uh, it is going to be very, very important discussions to, uh, discussions to be had over the next coming years. Yes, you are, you are, uh, I think you are talking about the heart of the problem because you are trying to stay independent as an entity in an interdependent, interconnected world. And every entity is trying to figure out how to uh, manage their complex you know, security challenges in a you know, very complex uh, world where you are trying to not only stay independent and protect your intellectual property, but you are trying to figure out different ways of doing things, different ways of operating, different way of you know, processes, different way of uh, managing, different way of governance and different way of even technology. Uh, so we, this is a very interesting time where we are trying to figure out how to do things in a different manner because of the cyberspace and also not only cyberspace but also because of the interconnected and interdependent world so it's a it's a very interesting time and uh, in that managing security is going to be very complex challenge so uh, these are these are the questions that i face uh, uh, like uh, and not not only me but i think that when i discuss with peer these are the questions how can you with a huge legacy architecture be able to utilize 
all the technology that is, that is out there. And I think that you, do, you are not able to build all the knowledge. You are not able to build a, a sustainable internal governance model to handle all of this. Because if you are going to do this, I believe that one of the solutions, and I say that this might be one of the solutions, is that for, our, for the business architecture, there's probably not only one solution, there's many. One of them might be that you need a dual speed architecture and you need to leave the things that cannot be converted to talk to the new world. You need to leave it behind and basically say that it is what it is. And, and, and you can connect back to that, but you shouldn't maybe integrate everything, but then try to build the digital cornerstones that are secure, where you're taking a new approach where you determine what kind of architecture you need in 2015 and forward in order to succeed as a business, rather than taking the architecture that was built mostly before the internet was here, even before we had the, the, the mobile telephones. Like SAP, for instance, is one of those solutions that were orchestrated and came around in the early 1990s because nothing was integrated. And it was actually before the internet that was uh, utilized by companies. So maybe companies need to think differently about taking baby steps and rather taking leaps, establishing a dual speed architecture that is secure, where you can utilize the information and then move over to that new architecture where you have control. Because I think that there are so many security limitations in the legacy systems that we have that they cannot be met by, by bridging them over to the new, new world. I think that you can do big data analysis across the sources that are by design insecure. Yes, yes. I, I think uh, that is the heart of the problem in so many industries that they either they are you know, not really understanding that you know, certain uh, things need to change and they need to have a dialogue and you know work on building those solutions and like you said that you know some things that cannot be integrated in a proper manner they need to be left behind but other areas functional areas where there is integration possible uh, there needs to be an effort to uh, develop those processes and i'm so glad to hear that you are leading the dialogue and leading that effort uh, for your organization statoil uh, to take the next step forward in the digital global age and uh, uh, there are a lot of you know questions and a lot of answers that still needs to be you know uh, evaluated identified understood and evaluated but you are making an effort that's a very positive sign because I, I when I talk across you know nations to so many industries sometimes it's so disheartening to see that some industries are just clueless in even understanding what they need to do and they are so focused on the problems of yesterday that is sometimes you think that you know when they wake up they would realize that you know they have lost so much because there was no initiative or there was no dialogue or awareness or even any effort to understand what is going on i mean i just came back from india and i had uh, dialogue with so many students across you know so many industries and some industries some University students were so sharp and ready to understand, but some I was really disappointed to see that you know their uh, efforts uh, or you know their energy was going entirely in a different place, which was uh, uh, very disappointing because I, I think the young people they need to lead this change, and if they are not tuned into what is going on in a digital global age, uh, they will probably you know. Uh, not be able to help their country or their initiatives you know across industries so i'm very glad to hear what you are saying tron so let's talk a little bit about the shale that the advances in the extracting techniques of hydrocarbons from shale is not only altering the oil and gas sector but the global energy landscape now what steps should oil and gas industry take to create not only right kind of sustainable energy environment regulation and ecosystem but trust in the industry's safe contribution to the energy as it faces serious perception risk of source, safety, security and sustainability because you know that so many people uh, have you know come out saying that you know uh, fracking and you know uh, shale are you know really uh, complex things that you know they are going to create a lot of damage to the ecosystem. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, th those will not be uh, like stale official thoughts. These are more my, my own thoughts around the topic based upon the function that I have been in and what I have seen and observed. And I think my, my reflection on the topic is that the shale industry is extremely important. It has, it has made, it has made uh, uh, the U.S. independent from a uh, from a availability perspective, and it's a very young industry. Or uh, I can say it's a young, but it's also a very old industry. And uh, the when when I think it's old, it's been around for a long time. Uh, it is not something that has come up for for just the last five years. It's been around for a very long time to to uh, to drill oil uh, from the shale. But the, the new thing is the hydraulic fracking and, and uh, the, the magnitude of that. And of course, these techniques, they will, uh, they will since it's a young, uh, young industry in that respect, of course, they, we are on a technology development and there will be found more less invasive ways of extracting the oil by using the right mix of chemicals that you understand the geological environment better. Look, for instance, if you look at the deep sea offshore environment, 40 years ago the recovery rate was very low. And we probably didn't do it the best way. Now over the last 20 to 30, 40 years, we have increased the the knowledge about the reservoirs, how to do it more efficiently, how do you put, uh, how do you place your, your, your drill bit in order to get the maximum out of uh, your investments. And I see that uh, when we move forward also with the shale business, this development will come and we will increase our, our ability to capture more oil from the reservoir because we can do it better. Uh, and we have more time to understand that the technologies will be better, the access to the data, the access to the data between the functions are better. So this is back basically to what I said previously. I think the differentiating factor for the shale industry are the businesses that are able to connect the dots between the functional side. So I don't think that they, the reservoir engineer is the one who will solve the riddle about increasing production from or recovery rate from 7% to 10% or 15%. It will be the ability to connect and see and understand how much water, uh, the water uses, the chemical usage, uh, how, how much distance can you have between uh, each well, how much, uh, like all of these aspects that you are not able because your speed is so high and your drill frack can go. So, so basically, we are at a beginner stage where the, uh, where the improvement rate over the next couple of years will be enormous, I think. There's a huge opportunity for doing better. There's a huge opportunity uh, for, for more value to be created. So You're absolutely right. There is a huge opportunity to innovate because I have been, I mean, like you said, this is a uh, very young industry. And there are still a lot of questions, there are still a lot of effort going on in understanding how to do things differently and how to do it better in a responsible manner. And I have been talking to many scientists who are uh, trying to innovate in this sector and they are, uh, I was very, you know, happy to hear of the progress that they are making that, you know, there are some really interesting innovations uh, that are probably going to come in near future that would help the industry tremendously because the, it's, there are problems everyone acknowledges, but there are also solutions coming up, which in, in a very responsible manner and the industry is involved. So that is a very good sign. And uh, we look forward to seeing those uh, innovations, you know, uh, come to the market so that that could help the industry and any young industry, respective of, you know, uh, energy industry. I mean, any young industry when uh, things are, coming out in a new way, just like, you know, cyberspace and cybersecurity. I mean, we developed the internet, we developed the way of, you know, connecting computers and computer code, but we didn't think about security. So there are, we are facing security challenges there in the same way, you know, uh, industries like, you know, we figured out how to uh, get oil from the shell, uh, shale and uh, uh, we still have a lot of questions about, you know, how to make it sustainable and uh, 
bring the security that uh, deserves to be there but like every industry uh, this industry is also in the process of you know developing those innovations and coming up with solutions that would help so that is uh, uh, really good positive sign so let's talk about cyber security how does petroleum industry or oil and gas industry define cyber security risk i think uh, as i said it, it, the oil industry is very conservative so we the oil oil and gas industry have, they are not as far ahead and at the tip of the technology when it comes to utilizing services such as outsourcing so there are certain sectors that we are definitely exposing but I think the industry that we are this conservative means that we are have now have the time to think a little bit. Um, as I also said, we are we are lacking uh, the knowledge, we lack the architectural understanding on the totality in order to move forward. And and I think that there's time now to reflect. There's time to reflect and see how do we do this in the best possible way so that we can do it in a safe manner. But my assessment of what is going on in the industry is that very few have implemented measures to meet the challenges of today. Uh, there is very little understanding of, of the, the, the business continuity risk. There's little understanding about uh, how do you meet and mitigate those challenges in your existing infrastructure and how do you move forward utilizing uh, new technology with the lowest possible business risk and what are those risks uh, especially when you see the exposure that we have from from hacktivists uh, from uh, from uh, other nations trying to just map out the infrastructure so that they can potentially launch and and the cyber attack against against your are of high concern and i think that every business should be very concerned about the, the attempts and monitor those very, very closely. But it's very hard when, when you don't know how to do it and you don't have the measures. So one of the things that I have observed and what concerns me a lot is that there is no common uh, methodology or common framework. There's a lot of frameworks. There's a lot of regulations and rules and, and, uh, and things to be followed. But the thing is that there should be more a life cycle thinking about security and your architecture than it is today. It is not about securing one isolated solution. It's more like having a life cycle approach uh, to your security measures, how you buy an application, what kind of requirements do you put on the vendor, rather than having internally developed requirements, shouldn't the oil and gas industry maybe meet and have common requirements when it comes to software, since we are quite alike. Uh, and those are some of the things that I'm trying to, uh, to get traction on in the Society of Petroleum Engineer SP, where, where I'm chair, uh, now chairman for, for the cybersecurity subcommittee. And I'm trying to, in the next meeting that we have, to to get a common understanding among the CIOs, at least, that there's no need for special requirements. Normally, you don't need internally, because they are very good, but we need to meet together to say, what are those, so that we can go forward towards the vendors and the service industry and say, this is what we need. Because everything is being interpreted by the service industry and the vendors from a big oil company and they are very serious about security so their requirements are being met and then another big oil company come with their requirements and they, the vendor tries to meet them as well but the thing is that those should be common uh, those requirements and a lot of these are already built, built into some of the requirements that are out there it's just about stating that this is what is best for the oil and gas industry and I know that for Norwegian Continental Shelf, they have already started this journey to put forward common requirements so that they can present in a unified way towards the service industry and the vendors that provide software to us so that they don't have to interpret from everyone and try to come up with a, the, 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 the least uh, conflicting one. And that is probably also a quite vulnerable one. So that is basically what we are facing today, that we are 
not very good at talking across the industry about the challenges. Also, the growing insider threats giving the criminal-minded insiders the main door to exploit system and process weaknesses to their advantage for criminal activities. So like all industries, energy companies are also likely considering the risk of cyber attack as an inevitable one and focus on preparing scenarios to identify, respond and contain any attacks accordingly. Where do you see the cybersecurity threat and what can be done to prepare? Does the industry have what it needs in terms of knowledge, resources and skills to manage the security risk? So these are two questions that I would like to ask you right now, uh, Tron. I think the biggest risk we have is now that we are working uh, towards utilizing services on the outside uh, and we are getting a, a spread and also when you are ex also exposing your, uh, your infrastructure with all these demands from the business, from the internet of things that we are putting in place. If you think about everything that is being digitized out there, what are the embedded or, or, or uh, the, the risk that you can carry uh, when you put these things in place? So I don't think that we have a very good understanding of this before we implement it because we see uh, as a business, and this this is not the oil business, but I think that this is a industry. Uh, this is across the oil and gas industry. I think there are several uh, companies that do the same thing uh, in other businesses, uh, industries as well. Uh, that they are seeing the benefit for the technology without actually understanding the exposure. Uh, when they are looking for short-term benefits. Uh, they might not take the time uh, to actually understand exactly how it will affect your business going forward. So I think that by having a good architectural plan, where you are today, uh, and what do you, how do you want to expose yourself, and how, what are the requirements, requires some kind of framework and life cycle thinking from the company. You cannot just put a service out there. You cannot just start digitizing your business without understanding who is behind this service that is, uh, that is being delivered, what is the uptime requirement, what kind of technology is it, who else have access, uh, like who has access to it and who else has access to it. So there's a lot of things that we need to understand when you put these things out and I think the, it's a probably a human uh, a human deficiency here that we, we the things that we don't see we, we don't think about uh, and uh, I think that we need to be better at uh, looking at things we and explore more and to understand the risk that we are taking when we are putting it it's not that I'm saying we should not do it because of course we should technology is moving forward and we are if we don't move forward we are we are risking being a footnote in, in yesterday's news uh, as a business if you don't uh, take the technolo technological opportunities that are out there. So of course, but we need to do it in a secure manner. And the secure manner is to have the necessary competence to evaluate the steps that you take, but put it into a broader context. You shouldn't do technology implementation and only look at it from one side of perspective. You need to understand the inherent risk across the silos, the functional silos before you do something. And I think that this will be an opportunity for, or a new era for people that understands technology and architecture in specific uh, to, to play a role in this transformation that we are seeing now that the business goes through. I think the transformation that we see now is very similar that to what you had in the, in the industrial revolution. We are now moving uh, very, very fast uh, and if you look at the evolution curve of technology that is penetrating the industry uh, in the field, robotics coming uh, at a very, very high, high pace, I think that uh, this, is, uh, this is a train that is unstoppable and we just need to try to do as best as we can. But these risks are not to be neglected and you need to have competence. You cannot uh, better technology, more outsourcing, more services doesn't require 
less smart people. It requires more smart people that are able to see these things and take advantage of the technology. I think also that we will see a, 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 uh, a shift where normal IT tasks are being handed out, but you need someone on the top that understands the totality. That is crucial in order to understand your risk. No, I, I, think, I, I think you're right on that. I'm right here, here that you're not only talking current replacing, you're also thinking also right. Because you know, when you come across any decision maker across this place, who is thinking, how is this cyberspace going to impact the business that we are in, the industry that we are in, in the coming years, what kind of different changes you would see and because you know strategic risk is hardly a priority for most of the organizations across industries. So I'm very, very happy that you are mentioning the you know strategic uh, you know necessity, thinking strategically that what kind of challenges or changes the industry is going to see because of the cyberspace and because of the new emerging technologies. Because most of the disruptive innovations that we see across industries come from you know outside of the you know industries where people are thinking in an entirely different manner so for any industry any entity within any industry to sit and think about what kind of changes that would be coming to us that would bring new way of doing things you know that would impact our industry or our business in next 10 or 15 years you hardly see any effort or initiative so i'm really glad that you mentioned that and you are thinking in that direction because to me, strategic you know, risk is the most important risk facing any entity within any organization because out of 100 per, I mean our risk portfolio, company risk portfolio, 70% is strategic risk. The rest are you know, uh, operational, financial, legal and compliance risk. But most of the efforts across industries you see only in that 30%. Everyone is ignoring, most of them are ignoring strategic risk and that is the going to have the biggest impact so it is uh, mind-boggling to see you know a lot of decision makers just completely ignore you know the risk that is going to impact them most in the coming but but you um, if you also put this into the picture and what i normally think think about is that most decision makers they went to school and had their education through the 70s, 80s, and the early 90s now. Most decision makers. So that means that they were never, uh, to, to that extent, a part of the technology and had it so embedded as our children have it today. So to understand all these technologies is also quite abstract to some of these, uh, to, to, to some business leaders. And they need education as well. Uh, as business leaders, we need to be a little bit humble that technology has changed the entire landscape for your, how, how you make your strategies. And if you're not paying attention, you may be out of business before you know it because you didn't pay attention to some key technological uh, advantages uh, that, that was out there. And the history is full of companies that didn't pay attention, like through the industrial revolution that I talked about. Right now, we're on the very turning point as a, uh, to a, I would say, a digital tsunami that's about to overwhelm any business. And we need strong strategies. What is the most important area that we should involve ourselves with digitizing fully? Why? So, so we need, it needs to be a conscious because every company is turning into a technology company. You're, you're not only drilling a hole in the ground and, and uh, getting oil out and selling it. It's becoming a very highly complex technological matter. And, and, and this cannot be, uh, it, I don't say that companies have ignored it, but some companies could live quite comfortably for many, many years without taking huge steps or move into cloud or starting to digitize their business. But the survival will be very uh, clear who survives and who won't going forward. So if you don't have a clear technology strategy that is linked to your business strategy, how to utilize this, 
and that you understand the risk, the risk associated with it, you are going to have some very interesting challenges as a business. No, I, I, so I, I, I think Warren Buffett, yeah, I, I, I think Warren Buffett ha have, uh, have an interesting saying when it comes to especially this. I think it goes like, if you combine ignorance with mandate, you get some pretty interesting results. And I think this is, uh, this is especially true when it comes to, to ignore the technology and the technology risk. If you combine that, that you have a mandate that you should, should follow, you have a possibility to do something about it, and you also have a possibility to close your eyes to what is out there. You are absolutely right on that and that what we see is strong. You are right, these research. Most of them, Most of them do not understand tech. And you don't expect them to you know, learn about pressing technology at this time because some of them are you know, at an age where it's really difficult for them to understand the potential of it. And so, so when we look at the executive that are the decisions and also, also you know people sitting on the board a lot of them are not technologically they don't understand the potential of technology and we said how do you make them understand what kind of effort the family did to help them understand the challenging technology brings to them I think this is about translation of uh, being better at translating into real business terms. What kind of monetary, uh, how can you capitalize from technology? I think traditionally IT in specific, uh, I think IT specifically has been very bad at using their tribal language to, to, to build a mysterious aura around what they are doing. And I think that that has distanced the technology savvy people from the business leaders who, who actually take the decisions. So IT, technology, security, all of these things have become very, very abstract uh, topics. So they don't understand. They hear the word big data and they think that, well, running big data means that you can analyze, put something out on, on Watson from IBM or something like that, so you can analyze one problem. But that is not really big data analytics. It is basically that you as an organization can build the competency, that you build your digital foundation so that you on a repetitive basis can do analytics. And I think that uh, the, the message about the technological opportunities that we have has been distorted by the media and not properly, properly being translated by the, tech, uh, by the tech people in the company to their business leaders. So every time they have a presentation from someone from IT or the CIO or the CSIO or, or, or whoever, it is always uh, like a curtain goes down because this is about technology. We don't know anything about it. We don't want to hear about it. But it's about us being more able to translate this into uh, how can you optimize the number of employees? How can you lower the cost of operation? How can you increase the security? How can you increase the resilience? How can you increase the number of barrels of oil that you produce because you have understood your, your, your data better? Uh, how can you lower your environmental risk because you have better data so that you can optimize how much chemicals you put down there, how much water you put down there, how much spill water you get out, so that you have really good data to actually do analytics on. But then you need to build competency and that is not having isolated project to look at what kind of security uh, flaws do you have in your system by using big data for instance. That's only one point. So what I'm saying here is there's a huge effort to educate business leaders to be more tech savvy and understand what impact that new technology can have for their business. That, that, is, that is the heart of the problem. The problem you are saying is so, so practical. What is that there is so much 
about the technology because of all these news coming every single day that there is hacking happening here and there and which impact because of because so there is a lot of about technology many decision makers but they there needs to be an effort like to educate them to make them aware in spite of this challenge right now security challenges technology brings such a huge potential as such a such a better opportunity in a different manner in that that education needs to be there to be and that you know there is a lot of strategic benefits and opportunities because of the technology every industry and big technology gives such tremendous potential because this gives you a potential understand the root cause of so many things and that is very welcoming and i think the decision makers understand about what potential of this technology and each of these capability bring to their activities or industry they're very very helpful in developing the company as that we're talking about to you know go forward and let's let's talk about that i see see still see challenges with the echo in my side and i don't know how to fix that so but anyway um, let's talk about the standardization that we talked a little bit earlier that uh, there is there are no global standards and there are fragmented ways of doing you know managing security or managing risk management or identifying risk and there is no collective approach on that so security control standardization and framework that integrates cyberspace geospace and space clearly has a key role to play in the changing nature of security so who should develop the standards and framework that are acceptable across all nations and industries because right now as we just talked that you know in every country when you go you will see that they have their own ways of doing things they have their own ways of managing risk their their own ways of you know regulations and standards and also how do we bridge those you know gaps and challenges so that there is one cohesive you know unified way of uh, regulations or standards or ways of managing security risk or you know managing uh, integrated risk or interdependent risk i can't hear you trant I, I think you're, you're pointing to some of the, the very, very obvious paradoxes here that we are up against, that the challenge is becoming so big that you cannot actually deal with it in a, in a broad enough manner that it encapsulates everything and catches everything. I think each industry needs to find their approach. I think there, you, you have to follow an industry niche. Uh, so that for the oil and gas industry, they are able to establish their set of requirements that is applicable for their kind of business. The finance business needs to find their way because the services are different and the operational uh, challenges are different for, for like if you look at two diff very, very different uh, industry verticals such as finance and, and deep water drilling, for instance. Uh, so, so I think that uh, we need to be better talking across the companies. I think more stronger network, functional networks in, in the security uh, area where we could, and, and uh, arenas where we could talk openly about what standards are most applicable for our industry and try to adhere to that rather than developing our own internal standards, driving us away from the main path and actually distorting the picture. I, I think certifications and those kinds of things are, are very, very important to people uh, working in those areas. But I think uh, this is about leadership uh, and security leadership, that, uh, that you are able, to, you're, that you're able to, to lead in a direction where the direction is 90% correct rather than trying to get it hundred percent correct because you also have a huge internal risk when it comes to your own employees that is basically statistically at least 
higher than the exposure from the outside. So there, there's so many aspects and, and when you lead security work, you need to have all of these thoughts in your head at the same time. How do you protect it from the inside and how do you protect it from the outside? And then try to find the standard that goes across and that can be utilized because now it's not, even if you're only present in, for, let's say in the US or if you're only present in Norway or only in France, you're still exposed to the entire global uh, threat picture. Uh, the attack vectors, they, they go across and especially because of the Internet of Things, cloud computing, putting services out, out there. All of these things are becoming so complex that you need to have common standards per industry. That is my belief, at least. And, and I think that we, we have very, very uh, good work that has come out some of some of these national committees here in the US that we have seen. A lot of the standards, they are very, very up to date, very applicable for what we are doing. And we should try to adhere to them as much as possible and get away from internally developed standards as soon as possible because that only fragments the picture for those who develop solutions. So is that a global effort going on to, you know, from industry perspective, let's say, you know, petroleum industry or oil and gas industry, are they having their internal discussions about, the, I'm talking about the global oil and gas industry, that okay, these are the standards. Like this is how we should go. Let, let me say it like this. Um, in Stato, we have had some, some people that I would say have showed a lot of foresight by taking a lot of international standards. They have been working uh, through organizations to see what are the standards that are applicable. They have had meetings with other oil companies to try to see, can we adopt some of this? And my task and what I have tried to do now is to, to voice the need for taking this over the Atlantic Ocean and also uh, try to implement it across uh, the center of the oil and gas industry that is basically in Houston. Uh, so, so to see if we also can try to use those standards. And the funny thing is that it shows that most of these standards, they come out of uh, the 2013 work that was done uh, from President Obama in, in 2013 and those standards that have been adhered to in Norway and that they said that these are good standards is basically American standards and at least here in the US it should definitely be, be applicable uh, I think. So and I think there is a, a lot of attention very much good work that has been put down and it's about uh, trying to create a common direction and get traction on that common direction to say that, okay, let's at least start in that direction rather than everyone running to their own, uh, uh, to, to the, their, their own sector. So there, uh, is there is a willingness uh, when it comes to innovations, the oil and gas companies coming into the nation to accept uh, that are developing I wouldn't say that. Uh, I think we are in the very early stage of communicating at this level. There is much, much work to do to improve the communication between the companies. One of the uh, one of the key uh, key challenges are related to that companies want to keep the cards very close to their chest when it comes to telling about what kind of security exposure they have. Well, we don't have to talk about the exposure directly. We can talk about at least agreeing upon stand, common standards uh, so that we are able to say that when we go out through our supply chain, go out to the market and say, we want to buy a software. It needs to meet this and that standard. That is based upon common international standards. It is not something that a person in our company invented. As a, a, as a requirement because he, he saw it from his perspective. So I think that that is, uh, we, we need to meet at something and say this is the base of standards that we need to have. And that should be in a life cycle, so when you purchase, when you put it into operation, when you maintain it, and when you finally uh, sunset the, the, the solution, so that it goes through the full life cycle of the solution that you put in. Because you, you cannot only have security when you put it in place, it needs to be maintained 
and it needs to go to how do you treat the data once the solution is obsolete and you phase it out after five or ten years. It go, needs to go through the whole cycle. Yes, yeah, so I, I think we hope that you know other countries, organizations, or other entities within other countries, they will follow the standards you know developed here in US. But it's wishful thinking, uh, thinking that you know they will uh, accept all the standards and implement all the standards. So I think we still remains a critical effort that needs to be there to develop global standards that are accepted by everyone. So. Yeah. I, I think it's a very hard task to, to accomplish, to get global standards. We have a lot of ISO standards, we have uh, a lot of standards that are out there that are applicable globally, but it, it is, uh, at least I see a tendency that companies know better and I think the standards are, they are becoming too big for them to apply completely to. Yes. No, so, that, so, so it's about finding that uh, that balance, uh, and that is why I say I think that the, the the answer lays within each industry vertical to find the the, the, the common denominator for 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 security. Yes, I I think there still needs to be a lot of work, and there still needs to be uh, a better approach approach that uh, develop standards in a way. There are standards. This is just to unify the standards so that it is uh, globally appropriate. Now uh, there is one last question in which we come to that is uh, oil, oil, oil and gas infrastructure, energy infrastructure. Across nations, privately owned, and it's owned by government. So, <coughs> sorry about that. So, um, how do we maintain security? It's so difficult to secure the critical infrastructure because of the ownership. Because sometimes it's uh, owned by government, sometimes it is owned by private industry. So that makes it very difficult to achieve, you know, security. Uh, across nations. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think my, my thoughts are that this will be an ongoing topic going forward. I think it's not solvable. Uh, I think common standards can, uh, so that you at least are able to say that uh, if you have a pipeline that crosses uh, nation borders, that you are able to say that it meets this and this standard for security, the operational uh, devices that you have connected to that. I, I, think, I think you're pointing to something that I don't see is possible to solve, uh, but I think we can get better uh, by being open about what are the standards that are applicable and that they are public and not uh, individual per company. Uh, at the national level, uh, I, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm afraid we sometimes choose to have symbolic measures, security measures, rather than having real uh, security measures. And also, um, private companies are, are not very fond of spending money on things that is not visible. <laughs> So, so it is a very complex, uh, it's a very, very complex uh, matter and I'm sorry that I, that I cannot give you any specific thoughts about it. I, I think that the matter is, it is what it is and we just need to adhere to, to the standards being open, what kind of standards we, we use and not have individual uh, developed standards for, for security measures. No, you are is what it is and we need to figure out ways to manage security part of our web of challenges. And that is a lot more we can talk or we can do it to identify that. Yeah, I think one final, uh, like, like uh, when I'm reflecting upon your, pre your question a little, like more than, more than five seconds, I see that the the documentation and the architecture understanding is very, very crucial to obtain security. I think uh, we need to have, it is not about only coming up with security guidelines and security requirements. It's also about a minimum level of documentation. 
that actually uh, is a framework for documenting uh, how the architecture looks like, what are the devices that are involved, so that you are able to, once you have something that is uh, exposed, that is becoming public knowledge, that you have a device in your network that is exposed, how are you going to track it? How are you going to update it? How are you going to keep it safe? And documentation and having a common language for identifying objects is extremely important going forward. So that you, you have some kind of structure the collected data about what kind of devices that you have out there so that your landscape is not dark data and that you know that you have some kind of devices that collect production volumes or, or what have you but that you actually have uh, documented it that you're able to track the resilience of that device that you're able and have contracts to update them when they are needed to be updated because they will be vulnerable at some point in time and that you can potentially change them and that comes with people documenting their architecture i think it's becoming more and more clear that without documentation and people that work with architecture in the combination with security you will be at risk that's it uh, for today friends uh... Uh, for more information on Risk Roundup and for the upcoming Risk Dialogue, please go to riskgroupllc.com. Thank you everyone and please join us again.